We're going to take it a little bit informal today. We'll be picking up our Just Jesus series out of the Gospel of Mark next week. We'll be looking at the first part of chapter 6. But I just wanted to talk to you ladies today, and you guys can listen in. And uh, it's just going to be kind of a flow of consciousness thing, I think, today. Although we're going to end up with some really powerful scriptures that I've been thinking a lot about and have meant a lot to me. Uh, we're, we're grateful for you. If you are a mom, happy Mother's Day. Sandy and I didn't get off on the best foot this morning. Um, I set my alarm, and I got up way before my alarm and forgot to turn it off. And when it finally dawned on me, I should sneak into the room and turn it off while Sandy was still sleeping. She was up there. It was going off, and she couldn't for the life of her figure out how to turn it off, it looked like. And so I said, okay. Um, I said, uh, oh, happy Mother's Day. <laughs> that did not go down well. And she is a great mom. I'm going to borrow the words uh, to get us going from Amy Young, um, who uh, said everything that's in my heart as a pastor to say to you as we begin. Uh, to those of you who gave birth this year to, their f to your first child, this year we want to say we celebrate with you. Uh, to those of you who lost a child this year, we're here mourning with you. For those who are in the trenches with little ones every day and wear the badges of food stains, we admire you and appreciate you. To those who experience loss through miscarriage, failed adoptions, or kids running away, we, with you too, we mourn. To those who walk the hard path of infertility, fraught with pokes and prods and tears and disappointments, we walk with you. Please forgive us when we say foolish things. We don't mean to make this harder than it is. To those who are adoptive moms and foster moms and mentor moms and spiritual moms, we need you. To those who have warm and close relationships with your children, we celebrate with you. And to those who have disappointment, heartache, and distance from your children, we're here sitting with you today. You're not alone. To those who lost their moms this past year, we grieve with you. To those who experienced abuse at the hands of your own mother, we, we acknowledge that experience and pain. To those who lived through driving tests and medical tests and the overall testing of motherhood, we are better for having you in our midst. To those who are single and long to be married and mothering your own children, we mourn that life perhaps so far hasn't turned out the way you longed it to be. And to those who step-parent, we walk with you on those complex paths. And to those who envision lavishing love on grandchildren, yet that dream hasn't come to pass yet, we, we grieve with you. And those who will have emptier nests in the upcoming year, emptier nests, we grieve and rejoice with you. <laughs> Couldn't believe how fun. I love my girls, but it was fun, empty nest. <laughs> to those who place children up for adoption, we commend you for your selflessness and remember how you hold that child even still in your heart. 
And to those who are pregnant with new life right now, both expected and surprising, we anticipate with you. This Mother's Day, we walk with you. Mothering is not for the faint of heart. And we have real warriors in our midst. Amen? We have real warriors in our midst. I want to, if you'll indulge me, just give tribute to two of the most significant women formationally in my life and two wonderful moms. The first is my wife, Sandy. Here's a picture of her with our two daughters. Uh, Sandy uh, had our two girls in her late 30s, uh, two years apart. We had walked that very painful journey of infertility and had come to the conclusion we would have no children. That's a painful journey, but uh, they're kind of God's surprises for us. And yes, I was the redhead. Um, <laughs> when they were growing up, and this big mop of curly hair on each of their heads, and Sandy beat this store, you know, and the, and, and the cashier would say, uh, do those belong to you? <laughs> and Sandy would say, believe it or not, uh, yeah, they're mine. And uh, so Meredith on the left and Angela on the right are younger. Uh, and, and Sandy is really invested in them in an amazing way. She has this real heart connection with them. I'm grateful. They both live in different places in Texas, and, uh, and, and yet we, we keep in touch, and Sandy has been such a spiritual mentor for them. One of the things I really appreciate about what Sandy did in our family was she created, because this didn't come as intuitively to me, she created um, a place of emotional safety. You had to be respectful, but as long as you were respectful, it was safe to tell the truth and be honest. And that was a huge gift to our family. And then, Sandy's not only a mom, but she's also now a mother-in-law. Here's a picture of our girls with the husbands they married a few years ago. And uh, boy, she has just an interesting relationship with each of them. Uh, no mother-in-law jokes here. Uh, she has, I, I think they really like Sandy. Uh, the guy on the right is Michael. He graduated from Oral Roberts University in music education, which was Sandy's field. That, that's what she has her degrees in as well. And so they, they just have this thing together. They have the same career. And, uh, and Sandy, uh, Sandy's always following Michael's music students in their competitions, always watching videos, always saying, hey, you should listen to this. And so uh, she just loves that. Danny on the left, when he was an evangelist student here, he used to sit up here with all the college students who are gone now for the summer. But he used to sit up there before we even knew him. And Danny uh, graduated from Evangel with an accounting major and a biblical studies major. And Sandy loves Bible study. She loves biblical studies. She loves reading commentaries. She loves deep thinking devotionals. And so she and Danny kind of have this life together, swapping books, going places. I don't even go with Danny. But right now, Danny's finishing his PhD in theology. And so they have this kind of common interest, unique connection, which I appreciate. And then Danny on the left and Meredith there, our oldest just, uh, of course, a couple years ago, had our first grandchild, our only grandchild right now. And there he is, little Paxton, James, Sebastian. And when, when Meredith checked into the hospital, she went into labor prematurely six months early, six weeks early. And, uh, <laughs> hello. Uh, six weeks early. Uh, she immediately, to our surprise, although she was a nurse treating COVID patients, she'd gone for half a year 
without ever getting sick, but she, to her surprise, tested positive COVID as she was checked into the hospital with labor pains. So along came this little guy and she couldn't hold him for the first 10 days. So she was quarantined, so at home. So had, had uh, Sandy out on the first flight to Dallas the next morning and Sandy spent the next 10 days. She was the one with him. They wouldn't even let me in, but she spent the first 10 days in NICU and ICU with little Paxton. And it's amazing the bond they have to this day. It's like Sandy can walk in a room and he will run past all the rest of us, just make a beeline for her. So they have this really fun relationship. And then uh, uh, here he is, he's growing up. Here he is this past Easter Sunday morning. <laughs> so I was sitting right down here Easter, in one of the Easter services and Meredith texted that. He's all dressed up for, for church Easter Sunday morning with a bow tie like Pastor Carter always wears every Thursday. So couldn't wait to show that picture to Carter. Anyway, if you'll indulge me, the other really significant woman in my life was, of course, my mom. She died a couple years ago, and we were going through our things and found this picture, which is over 70 years old. It's her wedding picture. And uh, she, she was a godly, wonderful lady. She'd, my dad had been baptized in the Holy Spirit when they were engaged. And uh, so I was able to grow up in this all my life, and I'm so grateful. And she especially was a spiritual mentor. Sometimes I wake up in the middle of the night, and, and, and she, she was always patient with me. She let me sit on her lap when I was just a real little kid. And I talk about, I don't know if my heart's right with Jesus. And when that was the conversation, she was the mentor and the patient mom. And she hold me in her arms, and she pray with me. And so she was, uh, she was a wonderful wonderful mom. I just want to fast forward that picture about 65 years. And it's a little hard to see us, but that's my mom and me. And we were in a, a town where I lived when I was in preschool. Uh, on the north side, we grew up in Canada, on the north side of the Lake Superior called Thunder Bay. And this is a kindergarten I, I, I started. I was four years old, soon to turn five when I started this kindergarten. The glass round area was the kindergarten part of the larger elementary school there. And uh, so lots of memories there. One of them, speaking of my mom's spiritual formation, is th this is a reference point to a story some of you have heard. Um, if you, uh, there are two ways to walk home uh, as a kindergarten kid uh, from that school. The right way was to the right of that picture. And it was a short way and you cut across a block or two and up uh, a little bit to our house. The forbidden way was to the left. There was something about compelling mud puddles and it took longer. So my mom did not want me walking that way. So one day I just decided to walk the forbidden way. Why not? And uh, uh, so it took me longer to get home. I got home, my mom said, well, Jimmy, what took you so long? And I go, oh, nothing, I, you know. She said, well, how did you come home? I came by the right way. Yeah, I just flat out lied to her, right? And she said, eh, no, you didn't. I was watching out the window that way, and you weren't there. So I knew I was caught red-handed. And the vision of the consequences that were about to come on my head were painful and many. Because um, you don't lie to your mom, right? Instead, she marched me into the living room. We knelt down by the couch like this with her right beside me. And she said, before you lied to me, you lied to Jesus. 
and we have to start by asking him to forgive you. So she taught me how to repent, <laughs> which has been a very helpful skill most of my life, because <laughs> sometimes I go to the left too much. But well, she was a great spiritual mentor. But it was really sad. I was four years old when I started kindergarten. I had a two-year-old brother by that point, and we were there. And it's while we were living within a few blocks of that kindergarten that I, my, I don't remember a lot of it. My brother must have dashed out in front of me. Uh, we were playing in the front yard. I'm four, he's two. And he, he, he went in front of a, an oil truck, and right in front of it, so the driver couldn't see him, and the driver started up. And uh, wheels rolled over his little body and crushed him to death. And so it was pretty tough on mom. Turned out she was, at that time, pregnant with the first of my three younger sisters. And, uh, but it was really, really tough. She doesn't talk about it a lot. She, she did when she was alive. She didn't talk about it much. I'd ask her sometimes. I, I did hear that the stress was so bad and the grief that she, her skin broke out in sores all over the place. And, you know, you shouldn't have to bury your kid. But mom did. But the one thing she did say to me all my life was if it wasn't for the Lord, I would have never made it. And that was my mom. She, to her dying delay, believed, day, believed in the goodness of God. And in spite of walking through a kind of hell on earth, she believed in the goodness of God, and that deeply affected me and touched me. We right now are studying out of the book of Mark and I'd like to go with you. This is not part of the series we're doing, but I'd like you to go to where women as a group show up for the first time in the book of Mark. And it's in Mark chapter 15. It's Mark 15 and verse 40. Jesus is hanging on the cross. He's just breathed his last and he's died. He was dying for you and for me. He was taking our sin on himself. He was breaking the powers of darkness and addiction and, 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 and guilt. and He was doing something out of unbelievable love for you and me so we could put our faith in him and we could live. Now, Mark is a very tightly edited book. It's shorter than the other Gospels and the other accounts of Jesus' life. It doesn't even start with the Christmas story because that doesn't serve Mark's purpose. Mark is writing to the church in Rome right under the nose of the emperor of the Roman Empire, and this church was going to pay a high price for following Jesus. The persecution, the suffering was going to be awful. And so he edits together stories from Jesus' life to give them courage, to say, this is the Jesus you're following, and you can have courage as well, and you can trust him. And so he doesn't start with the Christmas story, but he records in chapter 1, the first sermon of Jesus. Repent for the kingdom, the rule of God is at hand. God's rule is breaking in on this dark world. And there can be hope. So repent and believe the good news that God's rule is breaking in. And so he puts together stories of confrontation, mixed then with teaching moments, and then more confrontation. Confrontation with obstinate religious leaders, confrontations with demons, confrontation with disease as he would heal people, confrontation with the powers of this age. Why? Because the rule of God is now breaking in. And like last week, we saw 
you know, the woman with the issue of blood that he healed, and then a few chapters later, there's this Gentile woman whose daughter is demon-possessed, and, and, and he heals, brings healing to that family. And so you see a few individual women, but, but, but Mark never, no, it, it doesn't really fit his confrontation scenario and purpose uh, to talk about the group of women that traveled with Jesus until Jesus is on the cross. And all of a sudden, Mark has these women totally take control of the narrative at the point of his crucifixion and the point of his resurrection. So it says in verse 40, some women were watching from a distance. So they were there watching the moment where Jesus died on the cross. This was heartrending. By the way, you ladies, whether you're a mom or not, I'm always amazed at your capacity to care and to love, to have empathy. I noticed that Sandy with our girls, I mean, if my girls are having a good day, even though they live way far away, if my girls are having a good day, Sandy's having a good day, right? But if they're having a bad day, man, Sandy's so, like, connected to them emotionally. I mean, empathetically. And, and, and they're having a bad day. So, so she went, mm. And so she was kind of worrying about what one of our girls was going through the other day, two days ago. And, and she looks at me and she says, so what do you feel? First of all, I dislike that question because <laughs> I rarely know how to answer it. Especially when she wants details, too. So, you know, and I, I, you know, I, I feel it somewhat. And, and I love my daughters. But, but I just, like two days ago, I just said, oh, I think it'll work out okay. <laughs> and she's going, you mean we don't have to worry and pray more, you know, which I'm doing right now? But, you know, I love this, and this is part of what makes sometimes ladies so powerful in prayer. You, you engage the moment at its depth and its seriousness. And, and here, where did this group of women who followed Jesus show up for the first time in Mark? It's when their hearts were being torn apart in agony as they watched this son in the case of Mary, the mother of Jesus, but the one that they had followed, the one who had changed their life, the one they had served with for the previous three years, and he was dying. It hurt so much. So, but they were watching from a distance, and among them were Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James the younger, and of Joseph and Salome. Listen, your name is really important to God, and they were all there all of a sudden, and they burst on the scene right here the women, and take control of the story as far as Marx is concerned. In fact, he adds this in the next verse. In Galilee, that was farther up north. They were, of course, in Jerusalem where Jesus was crucified. But up north in Galilee, these women had followed him and had cared for his needs. Many other women who had come up with him to Jerusalem were also there. They were there. I mean, Count on it. They were there. Now, Mark's not going to talk about the guys. I'm sorry, guys. I'll talk to you on Father's Day. But, um, you know, the guys look kind of cowardly compared to the ladies here. They're kind of in hiding. And, but who's there? I mean, up in Galilee, they were there for Jesus. And here, at his worst hour, they were there for him. And they served and they ministered with him. And were a part of his team. I want to tell you, 
It's a thing of beauty to watch the ladies in our church serve. It's a thing of beauty. It's wonderful to see all these ladies up here leading us into the presence of God. It's wonderful when God uses ladies. He uses men too, but it's wonderful when God uses ladies. I'm going to pick a few people. Here's Renee down here. It's a thing of beauty watching her care for our young people and volunteer and serve in so many ways. I see Tiffany down here. It's a thing of beauty just the way Tiffany has been embracing new young moms and ladies in our church that are new to the church and organizing meal trains for other ladies in the church that are in crisis and just reaching out. It's a thing of beauty. Liz, come on on her staff who did our announcements. Wonderful job, Liz, over groups and helping with connections. is a thing of beauty. It's a thing of beauty when, oh man, I better stop right here because there's so many of you. But it's a wonderful thing when God uses ladies. It's a beautiful thing when God uses ladies. And so this is where Mark goes with it. And then Jesus is buried, and it's now the third day. The Sabbath is over, and chapter 16, verse 1 says, when the Sabbath was over, all the courageous male disciples showed up to take hold of the day. Mm -mm. Nope. It was Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome, who brought spices so they might go and anoint Jesus' body. So ladies who are running the show now, and it's a beautiful thing. But very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb, and they asked each other, who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? There was a group of ladies, but... They probably weren't physically, it would take probably physically, to be honest, a group of men to roll the stones away. The stone, the big rolling stone in the face of the grave. And so on the way, they were in some ways grappling with their vulnerability. And I feel this deeply for you ladies in our society today. Uh, they said there's some things uh, that seem to beyond our physical, be beyond our physical strength to either protect ourselves or to advance what we need to do. We need to get inside that tomb to dress the body of Jesus uh, with the spices and the ointments and the preserving things. And uh, who's going to move the stone away? That moment of vulnerability, of kind of having to face their own weakness in and of themselves, um, does make me want to say, we, we get that, ladies. I don't know, in some ways, a time you've ever been more vulnerable. You're vulnerable to sexual harassment like never before in the workplace. Some of you have been victims of sexual abuse. We have yet in our culture to do equal pay for equal work with men. Um, we have violence in our cities like never before, it seems, right now. And Women especially are victim, victimized. You know, I don't carry pepper spray around with me, but many of you ladies have to. I, don't, I wouldn't think twice about running to the store at 11 o'clock at night, but I'd never think of my wife going alone to the store late at night. 
I mean, there's just a vulnerability right now that you live with and uh, we understand. Who's going to make some things happen beyond what we seem to have power against or for? And uh, recently, a candidate for the Supreme Court in her confirmation hearings was asked, could you define a woman? And she said no. And she was speaking the language of our culture today. We are now being reduced to a non-person that nobody can figure out or define. But I want to tell you Jesus, and I don't mean this tritely, Jesus notices you. And he knows you by name. You're precious in his sight. And he understands your vulnerability. And he's the one who will come and hedge about you. Because he does make a way for these women. For Mark goes on to say, and when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. God stepped into their vulnerability and rolled the stone away. And as they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe, this would be an angel, sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. They were alarmed. They were courageous, but in this moment, they were alarmed. Don't be alarmed, he said, the angel said. You are looking for Jesus the Nazarene, who was crucified. Well, he has risen. And who gets the news first? The guys? Uh Uh-uh, a bunch of cowards. (laughs) Sorry about that. (laughs) The ladies. And then, and then, he is not here. See the place where they laid him. And then, verse 7, go tell those guys. Go tell his disciples. And Peter. (laughs) Poor Peter. Peter was a major mentor to Mark, and Mark writes a lot of his gospel from first-hand accounts from Peter. And so, um, and he kind of treats Peter a little different all through this gospel. But that's a funny one, and Peter. I didn't reveal myself first to Peter, but to you, you ladies. So go tell them. Now, women were, unfortunately, second-class citizens 2,000 years ago in the ancient Near East when this took place. And their testimony was not admissible in a court of law. So if you're going to make up a religion, you would never write it this way. That the singularly most important event in that religion, Jesus dying and rising, being surrounded totally by the narrative that women are controlling. And then women, whose testimony wasn't considered credible, women being the first ones that testified to the fact Jesus rose from the dead. You don't, you wouldn't make that up 2,000 years ago. But this isn't made up. This is God revealing himself to these ladies in a very powerful and beautiful way. And so verse 9 says, when Jesus rose early on the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, out of whom he had driven seven demons. So they realized the tomb's empty. 
But then Jesus, as Mary Magdalene is wandering around, wondering what's going on, Jesus has a personal encounter with her. The first person to actually see the resurrected Christ, not just be told to announce it, but the first woman to see the resurrected Christ was Mary. Mary Magdalene, out of whom he had driven seven demons. That's a nice thing to say about her. But I want to tell you, you ladies can be as bound and broken as any guy. But Jesus had set her free from the demons that haunted and controlled and addicted her life. Jesus. We sang about it this morning. We speak Jesus over addiction. We speak Jesus over sickness. We speak Jesus over emptiness and darkness. And Jesus, who probably a couple of years later had brought healing to this lady's life. We have no indication she was married. We had no indication she was a mom. But Jesus had set her free. And she was the first one to encounter him. So guys, we're not left out of this story because here's where we're going to end. In fact, I want to invite you all to stand. And I want the worship team, if you would come, as we want to just do something to bless the ladies in the house. But there's a verse, there's two verses, that Peter will end up preaching on the day of Pentecost. This will happen uh, close to a month and a half after Jesus rose from the dead, on the day of Pentecost. And Peter's going to preach, and he's going to quote a prophet from the Old Testament. Because on the day of Pentecost, the Spirit of God came to fill people, to make people all of us, his mouthpiece, to empower us, to be sent, to go, to serve him. And, and let's put this, the words up on the screen. I want you to read this out loud. And everything that's in yellow is, is everywhere that includes the ladies. And so, guys, I want you to read it extra loud. When we get to yellow words, extra loud, you guys. And you ladies can join in. Because this is what Peter preaches, quoting Joel. Joel, all together, in the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people, all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy, even on my servants, both men and women. Go get it, women. And I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. You guys will prophesy. You ladies will prophesy in the name of Jesus. God's spirit is for every one of us. That's why we celebrated women going all over the world in missions today because it's not only the guys, it's the ladies. And God just wants to bless you.